Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Today's guest is Phillies prospect Cole Irvin. Cole led all of AAA baseball in ERA, wins, whips, and he was second in innings pitched. Also was the International League Pitcher of the Year. Not only that, also won the Minor League Service Award, which goes to players donating and helping charities. So you know we got a good human being on our hands, and he's an even better storyteller. Don't forget to let us know what you think, and enjoy the interview. Man, I grew up uh, being a big Jim Edmonds fan. He was... uh... He was obviously, um, you know, an outfielder, and I wore 15, was on the Cardinals in Little League Double A, and I uh, wore the same number. And uh, just the fact, I don't know why, I just became a fan of his uh, when he was in Anah- Anaheim. And um, we actually had a Christmas party with some family friends, and uh, my dad and him fought over a little Camaro uh, Christmas ornament. Um, so family friends kind of introduced me to him, uh, only met him like a three or four times, but, uh, man, I just, I just love the way he played. He played hard. Um, unlike Manny Machado. Um, and he was just, he's just an overall great dude. Obviously Edmonds was big for you being an outfielder. Anything pitching wise? Um, when I got really into pitching is it was my freshman year of high school or so just, just before that, um, Cole Hamels actually was, um it's perfect was a guy i looked at yeah i looked at and yeah, I um i was actually hoping this trade season we'd actually get him so you know we i could actually bounce some ideas off him about talking pitching and he kind of pitches the same way i do um and so Hamill, like that's the big thing yeah right and uh he's got an excellent change up and i've been noted to have an excellent change up so uh that's kind of just where um, my eyes fell and Cliff Lee was another guy and believe it or not, Roy Halliday and got to work with him, um, a little bit, uh, two seasons ago, um, before he passed. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, just overall awesome dude and would love to, would have loved to interact with him more and work with him more, but even just his little piece of advice that, uh, he gave, um, he gave me in terms of writing everything down when you feel good or when you feel bad. So you can always kind of revert to where, uh, where things can be consistent. Um, I mean, I'm still doing that now. I'm writing everything down every day um, about, hey, what felt good today? And, you know, today I'm going to be throwing for the second day. So um, we'll see how it feels. Real quick, I'll give Dave the next question. I haven't seen you pitch a ton, right? Obviously being mm-hmm. in Texas, it's kind of hard. Uh, but Glavin's like a name that comes to mind because you're all you're 100% command, like, you, you know that you don't have overpowering stuff and you use that as an advantage and it's all control. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty awesome to watch because Dave and I talk about it all the time, the fact that people need to pitch more now than just throw because you have guys like Chapman and, you know, the flamethrowers that tend to just throw. And it's it's not really – it's like playing, playing catch basically and not pitching. Right. And and I, t- I was talking about this with a, with a uh, kind of a beat writer um, last night and this morning. Um, cause he, cause he, he was talking about, um, velocity on pitchers and velocity drops on pitchers and stuff. And I kind of sent him a message. I said, you know, why is velocity nowadays such a big, uh, promoter in, in judging a guy? I, I think there's so many quality pitchers out there that know how to pitch with their 94, but throw down at 89 or 
you know, bring it up. They're raising and lower. It's almost in a way creating a different pitch. Um, so I, I, we talked for, for a good while and, and I think just the understanding of Velo is, is great as a weapon. If you got Velo, if you could throw 98 plus 97 plus, that is an advantage. But again, if you get below that threshold, that following year, you're going to see some problems because you're not commanding the ball and your secondary stuff isn't as good. And so when you're able to pitch and you're able to, you know, raise speeds and lower speeds, I feel like there's an extra benefit to that. And that's almost adding like three pitches to your arsenal. And so, yeah, I may not throw hard at times. Um, you know, there was plenty of times during the season that I, I pitched, a, you know, 93 to 95. Um, it's not saying I don't have velo. Um, I just know when to use it and when to not use it. And there's guys that I can get away with, um, away with stuff. If I'm pitching at the top of the zone, I'm going to try to bring some heat. Um, but then again, if I'm throwing at the top of the zone, I got to be careful with where I put it. So that's where kind of the decision factor of what to add and what to subtract, um, really comes into play. And I think there's a lot of pitchers out there, you know, uh, Chase DeYoung, um, who's now in the twins organization does it pretty well. Um, Andrew Moore, who's in the Rays organization, he does a great job of it. Um, but, you know, you know, and just I, I just think there's a lot of pitchers out there that are overlooked um, or even uh, underrated that are able to pitch. I mean, you look at a guy in low A for us is uh, uh, Parkinson. He, or, uh, and he, he had an outstanding year. He was pitcher of the Phillies organization. And. And he threw, I think, max 89, maybe 91 throughout the season. But he had a no-hitter. He uh, It might have been a perfect game. I don't know. I think it was a no-hitter for sure. Um, but the guy wasn't scary in terms of velo. The guy can command his fastball. He's got decent secondary stuff. And it's not that he's going to overpower a hitter. He's going to outthink him. And I think those guys are really underrated at the big league level. And, you know, you see a guy like, uh, you know, you see a guy make his major league debut and he can, you know, throw the ball pretty, you know, pretty hard. You get to the big leagues, you got those nerves going, you get those that antsiness, you're going to throw a little bit harder, but what's going to happen? Stuff's going to flatten out, stuff's going to be up in the zone, you're not going to be able to locate as good. So you got to be able to find a way to slow yourself down and be able to pitch with command first and then add and subtract, if you will, when when the time uh when the time comes for that it's like yeah. it's one of those things though it's like as hard as you throw it in there it's coming out harder and if you don't have any movement on your fastball then why do you have it at that point because if you're if your fastball is just going to stay flat stay in the zone and not have any tail on it it's it's 100 going in but it might be 115 going out right right i mean I'm not trying to say anything, but I mean, I hit a ball 115 off the bat this year. Nearly not a big deal. Not off. a big deal. Just kind not of a big, big deal. deal. Just throwing that out there. But uh, I'm <laughs> saying that rigged. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying it's more or less trying to, uh, you got to understand that every guy now throws hard. It, it doesn't matter what organization you're talking about. Every guy in this organ in our organization, you talk, look at the top prospects. They all throw 95 plus. They got nasty movement, but they can't command the ball. They got nasty sliders, but can they command the ball? When you get to the big leagues, it's a different game. And I, and, and that's something that I feel like we overlook a lot, a lot is these prospects. Um, and I'm not trying to talk about myself at all. I'm just talking in the general scheme of things. Prospects, 
that have that velo, well, you know, they lack in this, they lack in that, they lack in this. Yeah, they need to work on it. And they're not, it's not that they're trying to not work on it, but no one has the big league experience to be able to be good at what they do now. So, I mean, it's always interesting to watch prospects go up and try to do well. Um, you know, for instance, De Los Santos, he's been really solid for the Phillies. Um, you know, when he made his debut and stuff and he didn't over try to overpower. He didn't try. He was antsy in this first inning, but outside of that, I thought he pitched like he normally did in triple a got hit around a little bit, but that's because it's, it's just your first appearance. Like it's going to happen. You know, it's very rare that you see a guy in his first two, three appearances, um, not get hit around, you know, it's a learn. There's a big learning curve when you get to the big, when you get to the big leagues. And, and that's just what I, I've, been hearing you know being being in triple a in the minor leagues for the past three years i totally agree with you cole i think what you're saying is right when people are just so fascinated with velocity it's the same way it's with uh, hitters now yeah the the hitters are so you know crazed about launch angle and it's like gotta hit home runs gotta be joey gallo gotta hit doubles mm-hmm. and it's going away from the brock holtz of the world you know the slap singles the ichiros if you will even the guys Lahey. that don't have the D Gordons. That Why is Jose Altuve so good? Exactly. exactly. And it's because he puts the bat in the ball and just lets it go where it goes. Why and was pitching. why was Rod Carew so good? Rod Carew's another well, great you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm like just I'm gonna throw you know, like how are these guys so good? They just put the bat in the ball because they see where the ball is pitched, they see where the ball is coming out of, and they just react. They don't they're not looking for a specific pitch to hit like this launch angle you're talking about. Yeah, and it's and it's great to see that, you know, a younger guy, like, you know, we're all young here, but you know, you're you're a young guy coming up, you're not trying to throw ninety nine, throw your arm out, you're trying to throw, you know, in the low mid nineties, but you're trying to place the ball because at the end of the day, you know, Nathan Evaldi threw hundred and two miles an hour. That thing cut back so, in on yeah. his two scene. If that thing doesn't cut cutter, back basically. in Yeah, if that thing doesn't cut you know, have any movement on it, he's gonna get torched. And I think that a lot of young guys would save their arms and make it longer. In the minors and stuff like that. I know the balls change, you know, the laces change and the competition changes, but being able to place and have multiple pitches, I think, is more important than just straight up velo. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more because, um, you know, th- th- this has kind of always been a, a staple of how I've been taught to pitch is it's command first, movement second, velocity third. Um, and yeah, I agree with that. And, and, I feel like a lot of today and age guys are missing pitching at the top of the zone and you They're see the guys to. that are really successful pitch at the top of the zone. Why is that? Hello, launch angle era. Um, last off season, I went to a launch angle hitting coach um, to learn kind of the thought process behind launch angle. And uh, I took that upon myself because I wanted to learn to be able to exploit um, I kind of knew kind of the premises around it, but I wanted to actually be like taught a little bit about it. I exploited so many guys this off season or sorry, this last season. And just by learning what the change is. And I think a lot of guys will benefit just learning a little bit about, okay, why are we trying to look for this one pitch in this one spot all the time? You, you look at you look at there's different types of swing pass and, and and we'll get a little bit you know sidetrack here about the question but um you know 
there's guys with level swings, there's guys with downward swings, and there's guys with upward swings. Which guy do you think I'll probably have the worst, the most trouble with? Probably a guy with a upswing because he's going to be coming up at the ball. No, <clears throat> downward. Oh wait, are you, oh I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about the other way. Yeah, downward because you're throwing top of the zone. You're. It's the. It's the. Actually, it's the level swing. Really, really. A guy that has a level swing through the zone is probably the toughest. A Mike Trout. Chipper Joe. He's got a level swing. Yep. He's tough to he's he's very tough to get out. You know, people say you got to pitch at the top of the zone with him. Well, what's he hitting now? Pitch at the top of the zone. And he's one of the best low ball hitters in the game. So just because he stays so, through through because level. he stays through, he's got a level swing, it's even. Yeah. He's not trying to go and reach the ball. You if you think about the level of the bat, you know, working at a you know, let's just say upward angle. What is exploited? His hands got to drop, and he's going to be swinging up towards the sky or up towards you know center field or whatever have you. Um, trying to give a mental picture for the those who are listening. Um, you know, you're coming under almost like in a C motion. Well, what's a what's what part of the zone is going to be exploited there? It's going to be it's going to be the top of the zone. Yeah. Top of the zone is going to be very easy. Now a guy with a downward swing, bottom of the zone. Why? Because he's drilling the ball into the ground. So now you're now you're looking at different swing paths, and that's how I read swings in a game. If a guy's able to make adjustments to his swing in the middle of a game, my hat is off to that guy. I will never be able to get that guy out. Because if he's able to do that, I'm gonna try to be reading every situate every swing that he makes. And the level swing guy is probably the toughest for me. Um just because of the fact that there isn't really one way to get him out. Um, you know, it just depends on what he lacks in terms of being able to hit a certain type of pitch. So I just think there's there's factors into learning about, you know, your opponent's swing and stuff. I mean, I go over so much film uh, just to learn the lineup that I'm about to face. You know, last year I faced uh, Scranton about six or seven times, you know, a bunch of the Yankees guys. Man, I almost had their video memorized. <laughs> I mean, it got to the point my last like two, three starts of the year were against Scranton, and I didn't look at video once. I knew what I was getting. So, and they knew what they were getting out of me. So I had to pitch them, you know, for the 20th time uh, a different way. So, you know, that's where the sequencing comes involved. I'm glad you said something like that because I, w- I was going to ask you kind of a side question. What's a professional scouting report look like? Do you get one before every start? Is it? It's before every series. Um, you'll get you'll get a, a sheet of the lineup in terms of, um, you know, who's there that day, who's there that week. Is there any rehabbers, you know, big league rehabbers? Um, are there any high A, you know, A ball replacements for that series especially at the end of the year that happens a lot um so you get a really good read of you know where their hot and cold zones are uh what they what they are good at hitting with two strikes what they aren't good at hitting with two strikes um i mean and everyone has that report and so um but i think there's a lot of that goes into the homework behind um a starter versus reliever um, I think a starter needs to study a lineup a little bit more than a reliever um, just because you're facing them a little bit 
more often it goes into everything i think people that say like baseball is a lazy man sport and this and that it's just like they don't get the game they've never watched at least you know i, I always say when people ask what's the hardest sport in the world and i think it's i think it's hockey just because you're on a blade and you're doing all that but the hardest single thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball you physically shouldn't be able to hit it so the fact that someone's pitching at you 98 miles an hour, it's cutting or 73 mile an hour curveball dropping in 12-6 Barry Zito style, you know, it's unbelievable to see. And it goes into the homework of the hitters and the pitchers to be what are the tendencies? Like you said, does this guy pull his arms back a little bit so I can move him up inside? Does this guy like to go away? So pitching him low and in would be a better option for me. And it, it changes game to game and it changes series to series. So it's a lot of legwork. It changes well. in game too. Yeah. It changes the bat to a bat. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, when there's two when there's two strikes, I mean, you see it all the time. Go look at any of the playoff games this year. Go look at any of the Red Sox games. Guys with two strikes, there's a shift. Why is there a shift in the middle of the, the middle of the at bat? Well, he's shortened up his swing, so he's not going to try and push it anymore. He's going to try and pull it. Things happen like that all the time. Or the opposite, where he likes to pull it. Now it's two strikes, so he's going to try and go away with it, so we can get away from the shift. But it goes back and forth all the time. But you kind of put it in great perspective of what kind of goes through the mindset of a pitcher from literally day one of like spring training to practice to in the game to after the game it, it all bounces around yeah absolutely and that's it's just uh it's just dependent on the pitcher i mean i know guys that won't watch film i know guys that just kind of look at um you know look at past games or something or look at you know games against other lefties you know around the league so um, everyone's everyone's a little different in terms of how they study a lineup. I like to be very methodical because this is my job now. And, um, you know, it goes back to – I guess this comes full circle because, you know, velocity. I, I, I just think that if you're able to study a lineup, you're not going to rely on your fastball um, as heavily as, you know, a guy that can get away with a, a mistake fastball. Um I just think studying lineups, it just goes a very long way in terms of um, how to get a guy out. And and velocity doesn't tell you that he can get a guy out. Um, K's per nine does not tell you a guy can get a guy or someone can get a guy out. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a lot to look at in terms of the details of a pitcher um, and hitters, but specifically a pitcher since um, we're talking about pitching, that – you know, a whip can tell you a lot about a pitcher. Um, a uh, base on balls per nine can tell you a lot about a pitcher. Yeah, a and fip. A fip can tell you a lot about a pitcher. A fip cannot. I I think that is the most broken stat in baseball. Really, really, because a lot of people say the ERA is becoming one of the most broken stats, and no, fip the, is becoming the more dumbest. The dumbest pitching stat okay. there is. is I mean, wins. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I have a fip. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if I could look that up and find a fit for myself. But I can tell you one thing. You look at an ERA, you can see a consistent balance of how I pitch. You can look at my walks per nine and see a consistent balance how I pitch. You can watch look at a K per nine. You can watch a ground ball rate, uh, fly ball yeah. rate. I, I like see, ERA. Yeah, and I think ERA is now probably overlooked. Yeah, because we have and all these so, more advanced stats that people are looking at, and they don't look at just the bare bones. How many? But a runs lot of people don't understand the. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people don't understand the actual, you know, stat now. You know, they're just saying fit. They're saying, uh, what are the other ones? I, I can't even tell you the other ones. 
traditional stats. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think whip is probably the most important for a pitcher. I think the whip and ERA. Obviously, I think ERA is still king. But whip's yeah. really good. I mean, it just it shows. You got your walks, walks. Hit, pitched. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. It's right there. I mean, that's kind of like the whole game. It just shows you how many yeah. base runners get on base like per yeah. inning. It's not just base runners. It's extra base runners. A walk yeah. should not happen. Right. A pitcher not- walks a guy, he should be he should be mad. He should be pissed. And, you know, if, if I could do a four-pitch walk, I am absolutely fumed inside. I am, I hate lazy at-bats. And that's what I consider. I may not be trying to do it, but that's a lazy at-bat, to my, in my opinion, is a four-pitch walk or a 3-1 walk. That's and you didn't nuts. have many walks. You didn't have many walks last year either. I mean, no, but I can man. tell you for a fact, I had probably about, I think I had five or six, four or five pitch walks. I mean, that's, so, that's it, impressive. I mean, you had 161 innings pitch. You only had 35 walks. And that's not counting. That's not counting playoffs. No, and, it doesn't count playoffs. And, no. And so, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I think I was like one, let's just say 170 rounded up. And I think I had one walk in the postseason. So you add another walk to that total. And How again, many strikeouts, you think? Uh, uh, the strikeouts, I think I had six. So like 140 on the year? Yeah. Round up? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the stat on my head. but um, um, I'm looking at him right now. You had 131 last year. Yeah. And so I'm really high. Yeah. And so, but th- that's my point is, as you look at the walks, I had I, there was a span of thirty plus innings where I didn't have a walk, and, that, and that's you know, command there. And, but and that's it, command. That's allowing the ball to be put in play and just see what happens. How many times does a hitter get out in batting practice? Oh, the yeah, ball's I mean, coming in at forty five miles an, miles an hour. Yeah, I mean you you hear it all the time. Trust your defense. That's why they're out there, right? These guys at Triple A, at Double A, even High A. They can play baseball. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy to think about. You know, and now now you get to the big league level, you get the elite of elite defenders. Imagine imagine what happens then. Yeah, now you get the elite hitters, but they're still outs. I I, I hate the I hate the distinct the, 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 uh, can't talk. Distinction between uh hitters. And pitchers at the big league level, I don't think there's a difference once you reach AAA. I think experience plays a fact. I think experience definitely plays a fact. I think there's a couple of guys that probably can't play at the big league level. They're going to be, you know, your four A guys, you know, up and down, yeah, uh, questionable guys. Um, but but there there's a lot of talent in AAA that I noticed this year, and there's a lot of good hitters. And when big league guys were in those lineups, and I faced a few of those guys, I. I did not. I was not scared. There was there was there was nothing that shocked me. Yeah, I gotta face a complete lineup. You know, the day I make my debut. But imagine the information at the big league level that I'm gonna be receiving. Oh, imagine everything. You know, imagine the the. I think shifts. I hate shifts, but you know that's it's gonna happen. But uh, um, you know, in just terms of information at the big league level. Everyone should have a chance to succeed. And if, if you're doubting yourself at AAA that if you can make it to the big leagues, you should be chomping at the bit to be in the big leagues because there's no reason you shouldn't you should be in AAA. I think AA gave me a good uh, indication of, you know, I struggled. I struggled a little bit and had a four ERA or something like that. And um, and 
I was in offensive ballparks. Double A hitters will ambush. Um, and big league hitters will ambush. So talk, I think talk about ambushing for us, the people that don't understand what that so, is. So yeah, yeah. Ambushing is just attacking a, a pitcher that throws strikes early in the games. So they get a scouting report and say, hey, this guy throws a lot of strikes. You might want to ambush. Um, so lineups will, in the first three pitches, be swinging. Yeah, basically, is ambushing. For, for people, yeah. you know, MLB fans. Yeah. And so that's what ambushing is. So whereas AAA, you get more seasoned hitters, and they're looking for a specific type of pitch in a particular zone, which is your big league guys. So now you get a balance of – and guys that ambush, Vlad Guerrero Jr. ambushes. He's going to be an out at the big league level. That's why he didn't get called up for you Toronto fans. <laughs> he still has got a little bit of learn. He's a good athlete. I'm not saying, I'm not denying his. I just think that, you know, in the in the three at-bats I had against him, yeah, he got his first AAA hit off me. Whoop-de-doo. It was a ground ball through the six, six hole that had, a, the ball had eyes, basically. It wasn't hit very hard. You just hit it perfectly between the five hole or, you know, third baseman and shortstop. Um, but I struck him out twice. And I worked him. I worked a 2-0 and count. I was getting booed because, you know, they thought I wasn't pitching to him. And then I struck him out and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> that's satisfying to me. Oh, it's got Give me the it. best prospects in baseball. Give them to me. Yeah, I want to get them out. That. I hope. I hope everyone's. I hope all your. I hope Gabe Kapler listens to this. You should just forward this to him and just be like, <laughs> "Hey man, like, listen, I'm ready to go. Give me the ball." Like, <laughs> I won 14 games last year at AAA. Not that. Speaking of wins, do you give a shit about wins? Like, I want. I, I want. I, I like winning. I hate okay. losing. I right, let me I like put this way. Do you care about the winning stat? So, for example, if you throw eight innings, the no winning it. stat tells tells you that I I pitch games. I, I'm in. I'm in ball games. You know. I think that's I think that's a big stat that I think again is overlooked. Uh, wins, oh, see, I, I think wins mean not like Jake Degrom this year, for example. You know, he didn't he had like ten wins all year, nine wins. Yeah, but you but, but his lineup didn't support him. Right, yeah, that's right, what I mean. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's fault. what I mean. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I mean. Fault. But no, not at all. That's but the loss. Saying. The loss is his loss. Yeah, yeah, loss. Loss is loss. It just it stinks when you have a. Two run loss. Sometimes you, know. you can't defend that stat, but I think more times than not, wins will depict how long a guy is in a game. I, I just, I, I honestly believe that. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying with that. Like it just because obviously, like if he goes, if four, a guy wins nine, games, he's a bulldog. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, can, I mean? you see a lot of pitches like that. No, you see, I mean, look at the. I mean, we're Red Sox fans, so we always re- reference the Red Sox. But I mean, also they won the World Series this year, so it's kind of a good. Example, but you look at a guy like Rick Porcello every year gets his wins. Look at a guy like Jake Arrieta, you know, he gets his wins, you know, every year. And yeah, even the Phillies, a lot the of Phillies finished below 500. Yep, but he got his wins. He got his wins. Yep, Aaron and, Nola and got his wins. He's a bulldog. Aaron, he is, you know, so gross. You Max Scherzer got his wins. Yep, another guy that not on a, not on a great team. That was the end of part one. We got two more parts left. We honestly love this interview between the two of us, Dave and I, and we're pretty excited for you to hear the then the next two episodes you'll hear Pete Rose story. Nice little Pete Rose story, actually. I mean, how many times do you have a guest in minor league baseball that can talk about Pete Rose? You'll hear him talk about Mark Appel, former number one overall pick, and you know, kind of his journey and what he's going through. You'll hear about the time that he faced Vladimir Guerrero Jr. three times. What happened those three times? Well, we're gonna let him tell you. 
You can hear the second part of the interview after the Marlins offseason preview that comes out on Monday. So you're not going to have to wait very long, only a couple of days. And then after that, it'll be the next Monday where you can hear part three. Till then, let us know on Twitter what you thought of this episode, what you thought of the interview, if you have any conflicting ideals or anything that he said, maybe that you don't agree with, let us know. We like interaction. We're trying to get more interaction. Till then, like, subscribe, share. Just let us know what you think. And like strike three, we're out.